Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Dr. Michael Rapici, how are you today? Dr. Barry Falk, I am doing well, <laughs> sir. How are you? The formalities. I'm doing very, very well on this hot, sweltering uh, day in 2023, July 2023. Um, but I'm in an air-conditioned space. Let's hope that continues. And I'm here talking with you. And it's uh, and we're going to be talking about Andre Bazan today. We're turning to Bazan. And we have many things. Oh, so much to talk about in, really, in regard to um, our, some of our, the issues that are near and dear to us. Um, um, near and dear to us on critical media studies. Let me mention, too, the question of artistic values, the question of art. And aesthetics, question of artistic values. And the other thing I think we're going to be talking about directly and indirectly today is the concept of media ecologies or media environments and how, or rather, how different media come together, interact with each other to create a media environment. Yeah, I think so, at, added to that, which, which makes this interesting, mm -hmm. and you don't often get this, especially when you look back a little bit. But I think what's fascinating today is that as a part of the discussion of art and media and the media ecologies is Bazan really gives us an opportunity to think about how the um, impact of technology affects this. And absolutely, absolutely. Ra rather That's than really looking crucial. at it, you know, like I think that now in, you know, 2022, 2023, when when you're looking at any of these discussions, technology is an integral part of everything. Absolutely. But this is, I think, a fascinating opportunity to look at, you know, analog art and then watch what happens when we start to infuse technology into it. Not so much in terms of what's capable, right? Like, or what's possible. I mean, we're not talking about how the matrix was made. Right. right. This is more about what happens really when you cross two streams that prior to this really did not intersect each other. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm I'm as 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 a wise man once said, I'm full of beans. You're full of beans today. Let me uh thank you very much for bringing up that point. So I'm going to say two things that well one is going to sort of complete the frame for today because you mentioned the Sam, but I want to say a little bit very briefly about um, the specific Bazan texts that we're talking about and the book we're talking about and how it would, and also say a little bit about the time frame. though we'll be talking about that obviously more and more uh, throughout the episode. Uh, and also, but before I do that, and uh, give you some, uh, give everyone some specifics about Andre Bazan and the book we're talking about. I want, since you brought it up, I thought I would try to build a kind of quick, if one in, if one can do this quickly, I'm going to try and do build a bridge, uh, a small bridge between uh, the discussion today and the discussions we have been having mm -hmm. to differentiate um, or in order to distinguish or differentiate, say, um, Andrew, uh, Andre uh, Bazin from, say, Theodore Adorno who we've been talking about recently. I Indeed. guess we going back an episode or two. Um, 
and is, it, this, it, I, is, is this is is this the surprise that you refused this, to mention? This was the surprise that I I spoke to you about in the pre-meeting. But actually, Michael, you um, I'm only bringing up the surprise now because you uh, inadvertently or unconsciously you read my mind, and um, you actually latched on to what I think is a salient difference between Bazan and uh, to me uh, some, and I think are like Adorno. Adorno, like what are in the Adorno essays we've read, broadly speaking, he's concerned about media technologies or mm -hmm. electronic devices, mm -hmm. but he's also supremely concerned about maintaining the integrity, even though Adorno, God knows, has a very clear and precise or very innovative very idiosyncratic in a good way, very well thought out, sophisticated notion of what constitutes artistic values. And it's not simply a traditional aestheticism, far from it. And he will go on in his writings up to the very end of his life to elaborate on his own very particular and, and, and elaborate and idiosyncratic view of the potential, the aesthetic. Still in, in Adorno, it's basically two in it's it's a struggle. There's this new technology that is reformatting and recalibrating our experience of music, right? Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, there are these aesthetic values. And what, what's Adorno mostly trying to do? He's trying to find a way to square the circle. Well, these, oh, I'm sorry. Do you no, want no, to I, I was gonna say I think this is a really fascinating difference to me. And let's see, this is you know, I, I apologize if I if I cut you off but i think you're about to say about what you see but let's see how much you and i are sharing the same brain yeah, the wavelengths yeah, here. yeah i think you got it to me adorno is really he's he's struggling he, he's a purist struggling to reconcile That's what is the word. purist not traditionalist no but a purist. no and but so and it's telling Aesthetic because purist. when he when he looks at the effect of the 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 uh a vinyl you know, the best he can come up with is, well, it will archive things for us, right? Like and he does have this weird argument about, you know, how magical and messianic that's going to be. That right. it's going to be able to. But, but, but at the same time, but at the same time, what it does is it also saves the art from the right. technological mishaps that Absolutely. we would otherwise Absolutely. put on it. Right. Whereas I think with Bazan, and this I think is as good a point as any to jump right into the to the, the discussion sure. today. Sure. Bazan has this really, I want to say it's refreshing, but it's almost almost alarming. And we'll get to this at the end. <laughs> I mean, it's bizarre. <laughs> this this really pragmatic, well, what the hell? This is what it seems to be doing. I mean, he is very much the objective observer of his media landscape. Whereas I feel like Adorno is running around with the trying flag. To save the, trying to save the boat from sinking. It, you have because to save the aesthetic boat from sinking. Right. Whereas uh, to continue the metaphor, Bazan's sitting on shore going, Hey, that boat's got kinda a lot cool. of water in it. Kind of, kind of cool. Um, you know how I would characterize it, but that's exactly what I was okay. about to well, say. It's a salient, but, but may I say one thing about Bazan, just like the general framework, what the text we're talking about, but just a, but that's exactly where I was going to go. What I was going to say is the major difference is 
Adorno, and you use the right, I think the total right term. Uh, for all of Adorno's radical innovations, and he's gonna take the aesthetic in all these new and complicated directions. There is a way in which he's a purist trying to make do with the, the what he feels are the dangers of technology and consumerism and how it's remaking the aesthetic. Whereas Bazan, I would characterize him as um, pragmatic to the point of being almost cavalier. Yes, about yes. The, about the future of art. So, okay, so that was precisely my point. And, you know, that might give us some bearings and listeners some bearings and, you know, not um, uh, a vantage point on where we've been, but also where we're going with this episode. So let me just briefly, and then let's just get started since we're full of beans. Let's um, push off, man. I just wanted to say what we're reading, because, I, I, you know, we're reading essays uh, collected by um, Dudley Andrew. Uh, this is a book that uh, came out, published in 2014 uh, by University of California Press. It's uh, called Andre Bazan's New Media, which um, is a tantalizing title. What, why it's called New Media is because Dudley Andrew mainly collected these essays written between 1952 to 1958. This is after um, uh, Bazan's premier documents and long, long sort of meditation on the aesthetic possibilities of cinema. And then in these later essays that he's writing, I believe for the Catholic newspaper Esprit. Um, but anyway, the, what's important is that these essays were written in the last year, decade of his life, 1952 to 1958. And they're basically newspaper articles about how television is changing the experience and the presentation of the video world. I guess that's one big thing, like how the, Media ecology are our encounters with screen items, screen devices, our encounters with images on screens are being changed by the consolidation and emergence of French national television. Um, and so the intermedial, so it's intermedial collection of essays. And uh, in particular, uh, last point, in particular, Bazan is meditating on how television is changing the experience and the meaning, including the history of cinema. And uh, it's tantalizing, right? Why do we, and last point, Michael, why do we want to talk about this? Because the, we, we were interested in this not only because uh, I'm, I'm a fledgling Mazan stan, and we certainly enjoy talking about the ontological status of the photographic image um, a couple of episodes back, but also and mainly because we thought we sensed that there would be some resonance between a discussion of intermedial media, you know, intermedial art in the 1950s and the encounters and friction and co-evolution, co-development of television and cinema with our more, even more intermedial age. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that, so just to make sure that we're, laying the groundwork for this discussion right yes um there's a, a few of the distinctions between television and cinema mm -hmm. cinema is has obviously predates television mm -hmm. so it is not when we talk about television in this case or when bazan's speaking of television in this case 
This is a newly arrived nascent technology and it's state controlled. And I think the thing like, so as I was reading this, one of the things that I had to keep fighting back was the contemporary conception of television. So for yeah. him, television is it's state controlled mm -hmm. and it is not the TV that we watch today. This right, is basically right, right. state documentaries, interviews with experts, right? So the big, to me, one of the big differences that he's focused on is that television, and, and there's certainly a million different theoretical approaches that would take issue with this, right? But television represents a reality that the viewers understand and recognize mm -hmm. and live in. Whereas cinema is a creation. I guess what I'm saying is one of the things that I, as I was going through this, I'm like, okay, so we are talking about a television that does not have sitcoms that we're talking about a television that yeah, does we not don't have television genre, except Michael, uh, there are fledgling genres. I seem to remember there is, I, I mean, I think what you're saying is largely true, basically documentary and live broadcasts and, you know, covering and that's events it. The, in the moment is the major thing. That is doesn't he talk about soap operas? I thought he mentioned about his son in one of the essays. He mentioned about his son being an addict to basically it seemed to be the equivalent of a television soap yes, opera. Yes, yes, but it doesn't define like television oh, no, no, is not defined no. No, 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 by no, these no, right. clearly demarcated right. genre right. differences, yeah. right? And even and I think that because yeah. of the, you know, he talks about television creating an intimacy, right? And there's the there's there's a bit where he talks about any time he sees somebody on the street that he recognizes from television, he wants to he go up he and automatically knows em them, embrace them, and hug right, them yeah. because yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a familiarity with it, right? Whereas right. today we recognize whole worlds that have been created, but there is a very clear understanding that when you walk down the street, if you see an actor, you see an actor, not a person right. who has opened their life to you, right. who has right. come in and shared time with you. Right. I almost wonder if we haven't developed, excuse me, if we haven't developed a certain cynicism about television that he did not, he was not burdened with, you know? Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. And, but you know, it, it, what is it cynicism or it's just familiarity is that, you know, all this, he's talking, I mean, this is the value of these essays, right? These reviews is that he's commenting things, really kind of new developments as they emerge. There's a kind of immediacy to his response that we could never have, right? We're yeah, too familiar with Cynicism right. was maybe the wrong side of the coin. Maybe we've lost a certain naivete. Innocence. Yeah, about... yeah, I think that's the word. I think that's okay. the word. We've lost a certain naivete. Can I just, um, uh, I, love, I love your point. You know, it's something I all of a sudden flashback when you were talking about our desire, like we, it struck me that I wanted to hear what you think of this. It struck me. Well, first off, I agree with your characterization of Bazan and, you know, how Bazan characterizes, you know, seeing, recognizing someone, the experience of recognizing someone in real life or encountering someone in real life, quote unquote, that you have seen previously on television. He automatically assumes 
I feel I because that person, I first encountered that person through their image on the TV screen. There's something about the intimacy of that encounter, the familiarity of that encounter that makes me feel I know that person. There's a kind of congeniality or warmth or familiarity that rubs off, that carries over into the actual face-to-face -face encounter with that with that person. That said, you know, I, I, so I that prompted, uh, that's a great reading of what Bazan is saying, Michael, prompted me to think, was well, it different for cinema? And, you know, if I see in the 20s and 30s, if you're seeing an actor on the cinematic screen, is it necessarily different than the television screen? And is that just simply, and why is that? And I had two thoughts and I, I wanted to hear your comment on it. So the first thought I had is, you know, I flash back to Walter Benjamin. Walter Benjamin believed, and I guess he's writing this in the 30s, but Walter Benjamin felt that the kind of experience of instant familiarity with an image, with a screen image of a person, he felt that that was going to be something that cinema provided. He felt that was something that cinema pro provided, that cinema made everybody a star, but nobody a star. One of Adorno's critiques of Benjamin is that, don't you realize, Walter, that, you know, once you put these anonymous, so-called anonymous people on a movie screen, they're going to become stars. Mm -hmm. That's not what Benjamin thought. Um, what Benjamin thought about cinema is that it the cinematic image would turn uh into um, it, it, it would still democratize the experience of seeing people. He he didn't think it would exalt them into another realm. And so why does Bazan why does Bazan say this about television? Is it is it primarily just because of the smaller screen or I don't I think the small so I think there's a couple things in play here, right? Yeah. One, television is consumed inside the home. So that's, you are literally bringing somebody into the home, but I that's think there's a, no, no, but I think there's thing. also a different aspect of this, but I don't know that this may be an Andre thing or it, I, I don't know. Bizan is also acutely aware of the technological implications or the technological necessities of cinema. He's aware that these are staged that if something goes wrong, you just cut it and you do it again. Mm -hmm. And there's the line in there where he talks about feeling bad, actual pathos, right? A, a, an emotional response when you see somebody in a live broadcast stumble. Stumble, right. You will never see somebody in a cinema stumble, stumble. unintentionally. Because there's editing and there are retakes. So I think that what happens is, one, the geographical consumption matters where are you as you consume this but the other thing is that when you watch cinema when you watch a film you are on some level clearly cognizant of the fact that you are watching a construction of something whereas when you are watching television broadcast because again this is live broadcast mm -hmm. you are much more inclined to empathize with what you see on the screen mm -hmm. in a human to human capacity, right? Mm -hmm. So I can read a story or watch a movie and it may physically or may emotionally move me, 
but there's a very real difference between, you know, feeling really bad about something that, or really sad about something you see in a movie Mm -hmm. and actual empathy for a human being. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those two are now how much the average TV viewer in France is aware of the of what Bazan was of what yeah. Bazan. I think that that's a discussion maybe, yeah. Yeah. but for him, he's he's very much aware of the fact that one's a construction, one is a um, uh, just it's it's a live recording. You know, I I think what I was I was asking an impossible question because I was just sort of speculating the whys and wherefores of this ops. You know, the contrast. Uh, between Benjamin and, and and Bazan and what that meant, but I think you you provided. I mean, what you just said strikes me as like, if not the answer, then most of the answer. And you use the key word empathy. There's this possibility of feeling empathy, projecting empathy with a television image, with the image projected on the television screen, partly because of it's in this domestic environment. It's already internalized as part of your home, quote uh-huh. unquote. Um, and that's just not happening in the cinematic experience, which is part of the, which is a spectacle on a broader, it's a group spectacle. So that, but the emotion that gets, that's um, uh, the affect of television, um, I think it tends toward this empathy, like you were saying, that's to me is the perfect word. And the emp- and empathy is not necessarily the affect that's activated by the cinematic spectacle. Mm-mm. Awe, perhaps. Awe, but not because empathy. there's a monumentalism to the cinematic Im- image. I think that that's part of it. Well, the other thing as well, remember, is that while there's certainly technological developments behind television, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cinema is much more of a. Um, how do I want to say this? There's more techne on display Absolutely. for cinema mm-hmm. than for film because film, excuse me, for television, pardon me, because television at this point is just purporting to open a window to a reality right outside your door. Well, Michael, you bring up the, um, the crucial point. This is very much part of his discussion of both cinema and television that technology, uh, you know, um, we just, refer to the aesthetic of television. Uh, Bazan characterizes the new aesthetic of television as being something that privileges familiarity, immediacy, this kind of production of empathy. But, um, and this is the pragmatic side of Bazan. In both his discussion of cinema and television, there is this idea that, you know, yes, there are aesthetic values that are being confirmed, maintained, disrupted, circulated um but technology is a driver so um how would you characterize uh the evolution technological evolution or technological um developments how do you see how do you think bazan what is bazan's story about how technological evolutions are um changing and transforming both film and television Yeah, I think that to get to that answer, we have to, again, step away from how we see things now, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's clearly, and and I think that we 
I, I think that as Bazan ends the essay, there's a very clear path to return to this. But mm -hmm. you know, if we think about now, you've got massive television screens in homes, right? Mm -hmm. Movies are consumed at home. Uh, probably more. I don't. I don't have numbers. I'm sure they're available here, but with that, uh, certainly a high degree of frequency. I've seen more movies at home over the past several years than I have in the theater. Right. So there's a blurring between the two. Right. I don't think that blurring exists for Bazan, because I think for him, television and cinema are two things that they both, you know, both both center and revolve around the screen but they're still very different things for him. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I see these two as sort of two separate tracks mm -hmm. that are maybe converging slowly, but as far as he's concerned, I, I think mm -hmm. there's a distinction between television and film, right? Mm -hmm. Television is the live act. Cinema mm -hmm. is a construction. And even though I think he'd be, I think he'd be fine to say, sure, television's a construction in the sense that it's produced mm -hmm. it's you know mechanized and it's 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 disseminated to an audience mm -hmm. i i think he sees them very differently mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know but michael don't you oh go ahead no, go, ahead, uh, go ahead go ahead well I, I was just saying i'm a little surprised by your answer because i thought you know in other parts of our discussion and in our pre-meeting it seemed like you were saying that and this was something that i thought you were you're characterizing as part of the pragmatic attitude that he has that, you know, as opposed to people who say, well, there's cinema and then there's television. Uh, and, you know, cinema is the art form. I mean, what, what's bracing about Bazan is that he does feel they are two separate things, as you're saying, but mm -hmm. the, the kind of convergence. And, and also I, I thought we were saying, and I'm, I'm happy to revise this, but, you know, help me a little bit to do it. Um, I thought we were saying that the technological capacities of film and cinema seem to be converging. Well, I think they are. Yeah. So it if you think, you? but so, so I'll give you an example of, of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I think he sees them as two distinct entities mm -hmm. that are on a, that are converging. So okay. if you think about cinema, right, you leave mm -hmm. the home, you go to a theater, you mm -hmm. pay a price, you pay a fee, you sit mm -hmm. in a seat, you watch this, this story in front of you. Mm -hmm. You sit in your house, you watch a live recording about whales. Who knows? There's a scientist on board who's telling you about right. whales. He does mention, though, that his son, as you had said, is addicted to these teledramas. Serious right? teledramas, right. But he does not give any indication that he sees that teledrama as cinema as film right oh there, right. yes so right. maybe we could say that that convergence is manifest in the the evolution you know the, the the start of genre right that as television starts to drift away from documentary but i think he still sees it as two different things what's interesting though mm -hmm. is that that convergence Right. And this is where to go back to, you know, where we started with the differences between Bazan and Tough Teddy is that does that difference is technologically driven and closing that gap. Absolutely. Right. Is going right. to be technological. Technologies. Right. Right. And, and so one of the things that I think is interesting here, and we, we sort of picked at this a little bit, is there is and we haven't articulated this in any specific terms and maybe we need to. But there is an aesthetic difference between television 
and cinema. And as technology sort of narrows the gap between the two of those, what then does that do to the aesthetics, right? Because part of what he's talking about, as I understand it, is, hey, technology is tied to capitalism. And capitalism is what turns the wheels. And he makes that very clear as in the these that wheels, as these wheels turn, mm -hmm. if it is a choice between the aesthetic, i.e. Adorno and capitalism or technology, the aesthetic goes out the window mm -hmm. or I don't say it's out the window, but it's diminished. It is, a, it is, it is a secondary or tertiary concern, right? What matters is, mm -hmm. is the, is what we can do versus how we do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if we start to lose some of the aesthetic, I have a, I, I have two possibilities. And I think this is where we can actually start to sort of talk about how this is maybe how we see this today. Is it that the aesthetic is diminished? Is it that the aesthetic is lost? Is it that the aesthetic gets buried somehow and then we need tastemakers to find it for us? Right. And that's it. That, that's the question I have, because I, I, I guess where I want to go with this is his discussion of um, cinema and the evolution. He talks about the evolution of cinema and he talks about, you know, the the section that we're really digging into here is is cinema mortal. Right. Can can cinema be killed? And I think what he's let's talking just say, about let me break in just to say that, yeah, uh, we, we would like to close off our discussion by talking about the final essay in the new media collection, which is called Is Cinema Mortal? Um, OK, go so ahead. if we're talking about the mortality of cinema, mm -hmm. are we talking about the aesthetic demise? Is that the mortality? Are we afraid that this is just go that, that, that the art of cinema is just going to be reduced to this banal consumptive. And That's, is that what television is? And so is it gone or do we need people to find it for us? Do we have to continually redefine it? How do you read this? Wow. Wow. Well, I think you just articulated the core questions of the, all the essays really in, in the new media book, but this is something that he, this is a subject that he will address very specifically. It's why we wanted to talk about the uh, Is Cinema Mortal essay. In that essay, he really kind of raises and try and, and gives you maybe a fuller answer to these questions than, uh, than anywhere else in, in the essay. So we wanted to sort of end our discussion with a closer examination of that particular piece from the book. That said, Michael, I think it will be I think it would be good for us to sort of wrap up uh, to linger at this point in the conversation because you posed the wonderful the key questions. And I think before we look at the text, we'll take a look at it and, and we'll just end with some commentary on and we'll provide some commentary on some key passages, especially the the wacky ending. Uh, concluding passage of the Is Cinema Moral essay. But let me try and take a stab uh, at answering your question. And then I want you to, I want to hear your answer to the question before we look at Bazan. Because as you were formulating these questions, here I'm clapping. We're no longer on YouTube, but for some reason I've been clapping, punctuating myself. I'm going to stop it. 
I'm going to stop it for everyone else. Okay. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners. What does it mean for cinema to be moral? Or rather, you're posing the question among the many questions you were posing. I think they were all, they could be summed up in this. Okay, if we lose cinema because television becomes the primary example of what he calls industrial art. And industrial art is an art that has a commercial potential uh, that is mass reproduced, that is produced for mass consumption, begins in photography, predates cinema. But what happens when you, what does it mean to lose? You're asking the question, and I think it's the, the germane question here. Um, Bazan is pondering everywhere. So if television replaces cinema, have we lost an art form? What have we lost? So, so I'm going to try and take a stab at that answering that question, and then I'd like to hear your answer. So here's my stat. And this is part of the pragmatic but cavalier uh, Bazan that we were doing. I think it is, especially in the Is Cinema Mortal essay. Well, I'll go back and just talk about television. I think that we, although it's possible to read Bazan on television and say, yes, Bazan is saying there is a television aesthetic and it has everything to do with the creation of empathy, familiarity. I think he uses the word in intimacy as well. Mm -hmm. So that is a kind of aesthetic to television that cinema cannot pache contra um, Walter Benjamin. Cinema just doesn't provide it. So there is a kind of aesthetic in television, but I, I think he's kind of indifferent to that when, when, when it comes to answering. I think that's all, almost of no moment to Bazan uh, when it comes to answering the question that you pose, which is, if television takes down cinema, have we lost an art form? I think the answer is yes. And if television replaced, could, um, could that mean? Bazan sometimes suggests that Television, yeah, television maybe is fated to take down cinema. And if it does, it's okay because television has a new aesthetic. I don't think he goes that far. Mm -mm, no. I think he's, I think he's, I think the, his answer to the question you pose is this it's par for the course in industrial arts or technological evolution to lay waste to both create possibilities for the creation and consumption and mass production of aesthetic value. And it's par for the course for things to die. It's par for the course in evolution in the evolution of media and media technologies for one um, uh, media form to become residual. And maybe at its height, that residual art form, that residual media form was also this place of supreme aesthetic value. And now it's lost. Big deal. Um, let's play dodgeball, as he says later. I, so I, can't I think wait his to answer is so I think his answer is uh yes, television might replace um film aesthetics with TV aesthetics. It's gonna be very different and not just different, Michael. I think he feels it's gonna be a loss, but tough uh cookies. It's that's why do you feel uh, am I right? So I mean, I, that was my too long stab. At this. No, 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 no. But, but why do you feel he thinks it will be a loss? It being 
the demise of television at the excuse me the demise of cinema at the hands of television uh well that's that thank you for asking that question i think i have a fairly precise answer to it but i am referencing things or i'm i'm calling to mind in in answering that way i'm calling to mind things that were not necessarily present in this volume because in this volume he's mostly talking about television Uh even though he talks about technological developments in cinema um, he's mostly talking about television, but I'm thinking back on his film criticism. He uh, just very, very briefly, and I'm, I would mangle it anyway, no matter how long I did it, because I'm not a film esthetician. But I think the quick take on this is worth providing. Um, Bazan is uh, important in the evolution of film theory for promoting deep focus technologies and deep focus camera technologies and saying that the directors uh, and and saying that the directors like Orson Welles, uh, Jean Renoir, who had long cinematic takes and used uh, camera technologies that allowed for deep focus of images. So there's a perception of depth and a, a really sort of um, a detailed composition of figures on the screen. So he feels that film. He defends, in in brief, um, Bazan defends that film aesthetic over another film aesthetic that said editing is what makes film an art form. He finds an alternative aesthetic within cinema, but nonetheless, he feels it's an art form. This art form is enabled by technology. Unless you have the right lens, you can't have a deep focus shot, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, he feels uh, he has all manner of praise for the deep focus. One of the reasons why he praises um, the deep focus shot is he feels that's closer to what you and I experience when we make sense, visual sense of our world. We're always bringing, we're working with objects in a foreground or in a background. And we are in the background and foreground of the world. Not just, you know, that's how we perceive the world, let alone the world on screen. So he feels that aesthetic is almost like, you know, getting at a permanent mental structure. So it's of supreme value to him. I don't think anything that I read, now you correct me if I'm wrong, but I read nothing in his description of the immediacy aesthetic and the familiarity aesthetic in television that comes close to the claims he makes for the film image. See, I, I look, yeah, yeah, you, excuse me, you, you think differently. I mean, you think differently, you think, you know, it's, it's an aesthetic on its own. That no, could be right. I think that he looks at the decline or, or the potential decline of cinema, though. I think he would, he would say the inevitable decline of cinema. Yeah, because, sure. Um, because it's an industrial art and subject yeah, to technology. Yeah. And I think that he's well aware of the fact that the industrial nature of it and the capitalistic uh-huh. import of any industrial act, right? You have to be financially well, driver. viable. It's a driver. Yeah. Is right. going to have an aesthetic impact. However, mm-hmm. I think that it would be very helpful to look at the last two or three paragraphs of this, because what I see here at the end, you know, we've said multiple times 
that he's a pragmatist. Who did, indeed. I don't see him as... So I, I think it's fair to say, yes, he, he he's looking at this and he feels it will be a loss. However, I don't think his tone to me suggests that he's not saying it's an irreparable loss. I think he's looking at it and saying, yeah, it's it's too bad. But I think he holds hope that that convergence, the technological forces that are pulling cinema and television together mm -hmm. may at some point imbue television mm -hmm. with the potential to fulfill what cinema did or does mm -hmm. and potentially even advance beyond. And so I, I like that's going to be my 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 little primer for for that really fantastic closing. Okay, I, I'm going to let you since I I think I already have my piece, so I'm going to let you do the driving on these two last passages. But before I let you do the drive, before I give up the wheel, I do have one question about mm -hmm. what you just said directly. Um, I. Um, I'm, I want to hear more before we go to the, the cinema moral essay. I want to hear more from you about why you're optimistic that he's optimistic, that television aesthetics can evolve to that complexity. Is it because, and I'm going to give you a potential answer, which I want to see if you agree with or not. Is it because you feel implicit in his pragmatism, evolutionism, do you feel that it's implicit that, you know, it's one of the, one of the things he's on about in a lot of the essays is he notes that early television, the specificity of the image, it's a black and white image, right? Uh -huh. um, uh, he feels that at these early stages in television, the technology isn't there and the, the image is just isn't precise enough, but, but it's, it's going to get there, but it's, it's coming. coming. So is, is that why you're optimistic? You feel that it's inevitable that with greater technological precision in the in the uh, in the television image, that the, an aesthetic will come sort of emerge alongside well, it. Is that why? What's the basis of your optimism? Partially, partially. Okay, so he's. I'm going to do the best to not invoke too much of him here. I, I'll explain what I think. But he says the fact that cinema is not mm -hmm. an art plus an industry; it is an industrial art. Okay, mm -hmm. so he has made the claim here, and he's made other. Uh, you know, nods to this elsewhere in order for mm -hmm. cinema to exist, it has to be financially viable. It has to be solvent as an industry. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in order for that to happen, people have to go, people have to watch it. It has to be available. Right. Absolutely. I think so. It, let, let me, I'm going to continue on a little bit with this. So if you go down a little further, he says it was a second birth that made cinema into the spectacle that it has become today. Mm -hmm. Right. And, He's talking there about the move from the silent film to sound in the film. He's talking about technological advancements, that second birth. Mm -hmm. However, you can readily imagine that the evolution of this art proceeding through misunderstanding might be brutally interrupted by the appearance of a more satisfying technology, such as television. So it's more television, more satisfying. This would be satisfying, not certainly from an artistic point of view. So we allow the fact that, right, the technological advancement is going to have a deleterious effect on the aesthetics, which mm -hmm. does not belong here, but in its capacity as an automatic means for the reproduction of reality, right? Something that we can readily reproduce and recognize. Indeed, 
It takes puerile idealism to believe that the artistic quality of its spectacle can defend cinema against mm -hmm. the advantages of television, right? So you'd have to be wildly, wildly naive to think that cinema is going to trump television whose image brings about for modern mankind, and here it is, the miracle of ubiquity. The mm -hmm. simple fact is... It's always get, there, immediately there. We get want it. more eyes Everywhere. on televisions... All the time. ...than Everywhere. we do in cinema houses. As an industrial art, as an industrial enterprise, let's leave art out of it for a second. As an industrial enterprise, television supersedes cinema because it's more readily available and, and the ubiquitous the and, ubiquity right. is the key word right absolutely but also um that it is a reproduction of reality in other words barry this film might appeal to you but not to me that film might appeal to jane q public but not john q public the reality is going to be instantly apprehendable by everybody so we don't have the we don't have again the lack of genre means everybody's in on it so now uh -huh. the problem oh my god the problem is one of then this this is where we would we won't god help us but this is where we would bring adorno in and say well what about the aesthetic what about the art yes. well the art is tied to technology and yes. he's talking throughout in the earlier goings in the book about technological advancements, bringing color to television, mm -hmm. right? Technological decisions that limited film, right? Edison choosing, uh, was it 35 millimeter, right? Mm -hmm. Versus, so there's a technological limiter on all these things. And he's sure. saying, right, that television will have these technological breakthroughs that will advance it. So I see him as saying, look, it's not there. It's not as artistic. It's not as satisfying from a from a purist perspective, but it's in front of more eyeballs and the technology will continue to advance. And as the technology continues to advance, we actually have this weird boomerang effect where mm -hmm. you're going to necessarily overcome the limitations of television. Mm -hmm. And some of those gems are going to start seeping through. And what's funny so may I may I scroll down to the bottom of this and we, can we look at this last paragraph or did you want to jump in? Of course. Uh, well, I do. Well, um, no, go ahead and do the next paragraph. I'm about. I I do have a comment, but I think you can wait till the next. Go so he the, says. So you put the, let me say this. Yeah. You put the dagger in the beast. Why don't you just go ahead and just end it? Just, Just kill it. Kill it. Uh, you already put the dagger in my heart. I want you to read the next passage and I want you to put me to rest. Put Here me to go. rest. I Here have a go. comment. <laughs> and I do this, I, I do this has haltingly, Barry. I don't <laughs> so perhaps in 20 years, the young critics of some new form of spectacle that we cannot even imagine, i.e., artistically evolved, technologically evolved television. Sure, exactly. Well put. Well which described. Which can't be guaranteed to be an art. Which we'll is the point. The we'll point be reading making, our yeah. film criticism from 1953 with a condescending smirk. Indeed. Our views today would seem to them more naive than the aesthetic sectarianism we find in our predecessors from the 30s 
who were properly outraged at the death throes of an art of the pure image that had finally reached maturity. Okay, that's where he is talking about, before you read the climactic sentence, which I want you to read, but I just want to footnote that. This is interesting, right? Uh, this is an interesting moment, just to gloss that last thing. The death throes of an art of the pure image that had finally reached maturity. He sort of, this is a stab at, now he's a film critic. Mm -hmm. Of course, in these essays, also a television critic but a media critic, but he's a film critic. Mm -hmm. And what he's pointing to is this poignant moment where film, where he's showing the nullity and vanity of criticism, because what, what he's, what he's recalling here, let's just make it very clear. What he's recalling here is the fact that, uh, immediate, you know, almost immediately took a while, but pretty soon, after this silent cinema had been around for 10 years, intelligent ob observers, cultured observers started saying, it's not just an entertainment, it's an art form. And they pointed to the silent aspect of cinema, the silent apprehension of the, of the film image, um, the, the mute quality of the film image. That was the basis of art. As soon as you had a new technology, it didn't matter a damn, a tinker's cuss, what those critics thought. The new technologically enabled sound form, which was no longer an art form in the mind of these of this first wave of criticism. Um, it was all over, game over. And, and so Bazan is reaching back to a moment in his own sort of professional career, in the history of his own professional career, where he was saying critics like me were insisting that art cinema lost its art back in the 20s. Mm -hmm. Now, um, uh, uh, Bazan makes, of course, makes his claim that cinema of the 30s and 40s, the sound era, is still art, mm -hmm. right? That he, you know, so um, he's pointing to the ways in which technological evolution makes mincemeat of our aesthetic categories. With, that's the basic, I mean, there are just so many dagger stabs here. Go ahead and do the final dagger stab. Yeah, and, and I think that what you, before before we, we finish this, um, this raises a really interesting question that I'm gonna pose after we let okay. Bazan drop the hammer here, right? So he says, drop the hammer. in the drop. meantime, and while we're waiting, right? So while we're waiting, for these this these new developments, right? Let's just play dodgeball. I mean, let's go to the cinema and treat it as an art. And I think now I'm very interested to for your read of this, this 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 let's treat cinema as an art. I I don't know. I'm not entirely convinced whether this is some sort of if there, if there's a tone of bitterness in this, in the sense that oh, it's it's going and it's dying because it will be, you know, subsumed by capitalism, or if he's sort of being tongue in cheek, a la, yes, we thought this was perfected and now we think in television was going to steamroll this. I'm not sure how to do it, but I think it's very clearly a nod to the fact, again, that the separate rails that are television and cinema mm -hmm. are converging. And he does hold out hope, almost anticipation, I would say, that cinema, cinema that tv will the, become the new art form excuse me well. yes that television yeah. will uh -huh. supersede cinema as an art form so the question i want to ask 
as you were talking about the film of the 30s and the four, the silent film, then the transition into sound. And then this also goes, it's furthered, right? Then it's also the transition into color and, 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 Mm -hmm. and, oh, right, right. And and cinema and cinemascope and all those things, right? Is, and I think as you had said that this is the, this is all the daggers coming out, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that I wonder if he's not looking at here is whether or not, and I know there's a ton of theory that we can, that we can turn to for this, but can art be mass produced and consumed? Or must it in some way be exclusive? And I think about television as, Hmm. again, the dagger that kills this argument, right? Hmm. Art is housed in museums, which don't necessarily have something that's going to appeal to everybody, but you can go to the museum and be cultured because culture lives here, Mm -hmm. not there, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can go to the cinema and you can see your artsy films, which are going to be very different. And I mean, no offense to you listening if you don't feel this is art or if you feel this is art, but there's a big difference between, you know, an art film and Fast and the Furious, for example, right? That's, 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 did I offend you? This episode stopped the taping. I'm sorry. Game Um, over, game over. I can't abide this. I can't buy this moment. But what's fascinating about television, right? And we've seen this, especially as the technologies have advanced mm-hmm. and as the lines between cinema and television have been blurred or even done away with in many ways, is that television allows for the mass production, dissemination, and consumption of art. Indeed. It 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 it, it absolutely obliterates. Art or I went to I went to, I let you you went too fast. Too you quickly. let me up. Art or entertainment. You're too quick for me. Uh, yeah, that that's exactly what I was going to say. Of art or of entertainment? Well, I would. I'm going to do the 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 unthinkable and just flip that back at you. Why do the two what? need to be distinct from each other? Uh, I'm going to flip that back on you. Dr. Come back with it because he says so. In 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 Bazan's own terms, he says so. Right. By but raising the point about ubiquity, he is necessary. Art is. Art may be many things, but traditional notions of art, unless you're you're having a radical new definition of art, which I don't think he is. Mm -mm. um, Art is anything but ubiquitous. If television gives you the miracle of ubiquity, then by definition, we're talking about an entertainment spectacle that is ubiquitous, not an artistic spectacle. Fair, but he has also defined this as an industrial art. And it is a 24-7 industrial art that has evolved to a place where it doesn't need to be exclusive to anything. That's my point here. I think we're looking at television. television. What's television? Are you talking about movies or television? No, well, I think that television has evolved to a place where we have essentially blurred a lot of this. You can... What is the difference? And here, maybe I'm being oh, but wildly. Wait, 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 no, but you have to define your terms here. Are you talking about 1950s? No, uh, no, 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 no. About the contemporary thing. Oh, okay, perhaps. You shifted. You perhaps shifted. It, that's not fair. It's not fair for you to shift. Look, I don't know. <laughs> perhaps in 20 years, the young critics of some new form of uh-huh. spectacle that we cannot imagine. Yeah. And which can't be guaranteed to be an art. Oh, we'll be reading our criticism from 53 with a condescending smirk. I'm asking okay. the question. Okay. Was he right? Have we reached a point huh. where 
because in his time, you're absolutely right. There's a clear distinction. Okay, I got I got what you're saying. I got what you're saying. Okay, all right. Um, I'm going to try and answer that question. Do you want to add more caveats before? Oh, I, I think the less I speak right now, the better. <laughs> you might want to add further caveats. Okay, no, I, I, well, and I have a double answer to that. I'm sort of skirting the question, but I don't think so. Uh, I'm just saying that um, I'm thinking that there are two possible answers to it, which is not, I, I hope, not quite the same thing as skirting your question. Um, what you're saying is in subsequent years, does television entertainment, because of its ubiquity, does that also mean that television is not just making ubiquitous entertainment and visual spectacle, but it's also making giving a new, unforeseen, heretofore unseen platform for the circulation of art? Uh, okay, yes, in okay. one respect. Okay. That... Um, Let's say I am streaming a film that I believe I'm going to use. I'm going to have to work through an example and you can take apart my example. Okay. And, if, and you know, and as I answer the question, I don't think I can answer your question and talk about these two aspects without giving an example. And so I will do that and you will, will comment. So I watched the Criterion Channel. A lot. Mm -hmm. um, recently, I watched Five Easy Pieces, <sighs> which I thought, was and I thought I had I felt an aesthetic experience with that and I felt that the the film was is what I would categorize art okay bracket off the subjectivity of that but let I'll keep it within the subjective I felt like I had an experience of the, the aesthetic uh and of course that experience could be replicated with anybody who has means to the television. So mm -hmm. yes, I do feel to television and streaming. And indeed, uh, I streamed it with, uh, with a friend. We streamed it in the early afternoon. We mm -hmm. could have done it at three o'clock at night, uh, 3 a.m. Um, so there's a 24 seven aspect to it. There's a streaming aspect to it. There's a commercial aspect to it. Uh, but nonetheless, I felt I had an aesthetic experience. So the answer is yes. But also, isn't the answer necessarily no? Because uh, my the aesthetic is coming from me. I am privatizing the experience and making it aesthetic. In other words, there's nothing about that situation. The situation is only ubiquitous. Ubiquity is the foundation upon which I rest, I build my privileged aesthetic experience. Does that make sense? So yes, it's ubiquitous. Nonetheless, I felt I had an aesthetic experience. That said, that that's me projecting that. It's okay. according to my criteria of literacy. The only thing that you can say objectively about that situation, Michael, is not that that's a democratization of art or, a, or whatever. I mean, I guess it's a democratization of art. But the first and foremost primary category quality of that experience is ubiquity, not the aesthetic. The aesthetic is something I super added to it. So, so I that's think... why I'm saying it's both yes and no. I'm going to throw you something much more base and see how this works. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's necessary to privilege ubiquity 
over the aesthetic mm-hmm. or artistic experience. I think we need them both for this particular argument mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. So what's the purpose of art? Like, how do we define art? That's at the core of this, right? So mm-hmm. should it show us something about the human condition? Should it move us in some capacity? If so, in which capacity? Mm-hmm. An industrial art has to be financially successful, right? Indeed. So if this is going to be, or at least financially viable. So if this is going to be the case, some, and I I realize there aren't really versions of ubiquity, but some version of mass access is going to have to be, Mm -hmm. mass visibility is going to have to be the case. So Mm -hmm. I think about something like Seinfeld, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, Readily available all the time, showed Mm -hmm. us the absolute worst that we can be, made Mm -hmm. us laugh, right? was seen by many as a funny sitcom was seen by others as a you know years long uh run of genius okay i'm wondering if the separation of television from state control mm-hmm. to more private interests and then further delineating it into genres Further separating that into time slots organized by audience, hmm. right? So you turn on the TV at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to get very different programming. And, and I'm, I'm, let's look before streaming, right? Just when you had cable television, right? Mm-hmm. Different channels are going to cater to different audiences, are going to cater to different audiences at different times, are going to adult swim, thinking right. about the adult swim. Yeah. My point is, though, that I think that the move away from state control mm-hmm. to individual interests with different perspectives and everything, mm-hmm. I think the technological advancements that enable us to be an A, invest more, right? Do more, higher quality, higher resolution, um, better production values. I think all of this creates a situation. Let me be clear. I'm not saying everything is art. I'm not saying that television as an institution is an art form. Be careful, Mr. Rapici. Be careful, Dr. Rapici, because you're perilously close to that falling over. I can't. Into I got, that I, abyss. But I, continue. I don't there are several people you. who will don't flog me if I cross that line. <laughs> but, you know, this is this is, this is is our own don't weird te- te- technological you, version I, of live, right? I'm not going to edit wa- this. And I want you to finish. And I want you to finish. But uh, And I, I don't want to dissuade you from making your point, that is. But. I think you're coming close, but let's okay. let's hear. Let's hear. I would posit that television has forced us to reconsider art and the production and consumption of art in a way that cinema can't. Oh, that's because a good of its reach. This is your article because I like of to its hear reach. That. And I'm not because saying, of its ubiquity. Yes, because of its ubiquity. Yes. Okay. I am not saying that all television is art. Uh, I because I think again, in order for you to have art, you need to have not art. And I think that we needn't look far to find programming on television sets that certainly does not qualify as artistic. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that he's right. At the end, I think that. As the technologies advanced, I think the television closed the gap to cinema. I think if you were going to call cinema an art, there is absolutely every way you can call television an art. Um, 
pondering what you said, but just in the interest of everyone's uh, You've scared time span me. and attention span, huh? You scared me now, and I've no, scared no, no, myself. No, 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 I'm pondering what you said. Yeah, and I'm, a, I'm more than a little scared by you and Bazan at this point. Um, but just in, uh, how about this, Michael? Uh, I'm pausing an exit strategy since we've been talking um, at length on this. I wanted to say two, two things. I'm going to try to keep them brief, and I'm going to share the screen again. And I have one comment, and, and rather than try to bring it, bring it all together and synthesize our our views in a Hegelian, you know, a greater Hegelian synthesis and harmony, I think you you very eloquently articulated your perspective about television as being um, the game changer, not just technological game changer, but in a sense, the aesthetic game changer in some respect, in some vital, in actually world historical respect. So I'm going to present my, briefly, if it's okay, I'm going to present my two glosses on the passages you read and it's a bizarro reading. And I'm not going to try to, unless you can find a way to put them together, I'm not going to try to put the readings together. I have to say behind this, I feel I'm channeling the spirit of Mr. Adorno, unfortunately, in this. And that I started already, maybe about 10 minutes ago, I started, I started crying a little bit in the corner of my eye. I was having a little, I was casting a tear because... Well, here, I'll give my gloss here. Uh, let me share the screen just one more time. So, and I want to, I'm going to scroll back to the first passage that Michael read and just read a little bit of it. Indeed, it takes pure, puerile idealism to believe that the artistic quality of its television spectacle can defend, cin oh no, I'm sorry, cinema spectacle can defend cinema against the advantages, technological, commercial, and aesthetic of television, um, whose image brings about for modern mankind the miracle of ubiquity. Wait, wait, what's that sound you hear? It's in the corner. I hear it. I hear it more clearly. I hear a bell ringing. What is that bell ringing? What does that tolling of the bell mean? It means when you, when you read the miracle of ubiquity, I think that's the death knell. That's the bells ringing for the end of, of cinema. Aesthetic power. And, and not just cinema. I think he's saying that's a death knell oh. for aesthetic values. Okay. Like I said, let me go to the second. Reading. Okay. So, well, don't say okay yet. No. Okay. I, I, see, I think I see where you're here. going here. I'm going to get whack here. I'm gonna no, get I whack think here. I see where you're going. Okay. Okay. So I think that is now in Adorno. And in most other people, this acknowledgement that the miracle of ubiquity is the dagger stroke means the end, kaput, to right. traditional aesthetics. Um, this would be this would be this amazing. Uh, this would be a high a moment of high tragedy for the esthete. Okay, I'm I'm totally projecting. I said it was wacky. I'm totally projecting, but I I want to say at the very end of all this. Uh, we see Bazan the Catholic kind of emerging. And yes, and the, uh, for a secular-minded aesthete, the end of art is the end of the universe, right? It's mm -hmm. the end of the only locus of values. 
just real quick, I want to interject one question. Sure. sure. Yeah, please, please, please. You're reading ubiquity as synonymous with banality, right? That when we reach ubiquity, we have leveled all things at the lowest common denominator. Well, but yeah, I am saying that, but I, I want to hasten to add that I am mainly reading ubiquity. You know, I want to get rid of the I want to get rid of the lowest in that formula and just talk about common denominators, because uh -huh. I think the real synonym for ubiquity in this context is the everyday. Right. The everyday that we all share and commonly experience. The, but, so banality, but not in a value laden sense, just the banal, the thing that we all share and we all experience. That, that's how I'm reading ubiquity. But by definition, if it's everywhere, then it can't be art. That's then the true. traditional note, the traditional way of saying art represents a value because it clarifies whatever you want to say, whether it's clarifying a human condition, a non-human condition, a oneness with nature, however you define it. There is something about it that is by definition not banal. Even if you're if art is the thing that allows you to experience banality in a different way there is a sort of meta-banality to the aesthetic that makes it slightly different, different in kind. I wouldn't say slightly different, different in kind from the ubiquitous, the merely, the, the everyday. Okay, so this is where I think, I think this is where I, I'm speculating we see Bazan the Catholic. Okay. In the meantime, and while waiting, so what's he been doing? As you were pointing out, he's talking about, dude, this is mortal. This aesthetic value that, you know, the aesthetic values, let me remind you the last time the film critics got exercised in the 1920s, uh, in the early 1930s, when people were mourning the death of silent cinema. Were they right? Did it kill an art form? Hell yes, it did. Uh, but we all survived. Turned out aesthetic values are not the highest values. Aesthetic values, now I think there's a complication for this, which I'll mention, but I'll finish the thought. In the meantime, and while way, this is the Catholic. So the esthete would say, this is horrible. The end of art is the end of the world. It's the end of the universe. For Bazan the Catholic, I think he's finally looking at it in a, in a non-temporal perspective and a different scale of values. And he says, hey, let's just pretend. It's all play in the end of it. Let's go to the cinema and treat it as an art. Well, wait a minute, treat it as an art. That means you're giving up on the claim that would be, say, precious to Adorno, that aesthetic value and truth value are somehow commensurate or art reveals the truth. Now, Bazan, the Catholic, as opposed to Adorno, the secularist, he's okay with that. That's it. That's as good as we're going to effing get. Okay. So that's my reading of this. I like it. I think that is a very good read. I think that is a very valid read. I am going to invoke one of our other favorite Catholics. <laughs> and if you think, well, I'm this being serious. This is a subcategory. This is, this is it. Media studies, right? This is about attention. This is about focus. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. Right. So if we think right. about our good friend, Simone Weil, right? It is all about attention. And I think that if you look at television, you can see the common denominator. But I don't think that means that art's not there for those who can see it. 
Okay. Okay. I like it. So I don't disagree with anything you said. I think it's a certainly, I think it's a good read, but I would say I'm not saying, and I wasn't trying to say what creates aesthetic values. You're adding one Catholic. You're like multiply. You're building on Catholics here. It's what I'm doing today. This is how I'm going to spend my day. (laughs) You're built. You're building, layering Catholics today. (laughs) It's like, my God, I could say so many things that would be so horrible right now. I'm going to stop. But 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 I I like what you're doing. Yeah. Well, go ahead. I, 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 I like your read quite a bit. I think my takeaway from this is that here we see what happens when technology and art come together and we see the effect, the industrial effect of technology on art. I would say that the um, the the ubiquity of television creates an opportunity for a mass dissemination of art for those who can see it provided there's people who are creating it. And I think that as he alludes to at the end, right? If you go back to 1953 and say, hey, this is gonna maybe happen. All I'm saying is I think it did happen. You know, I don't think that the Bazan perspective, the end of this essay, maybe he he, he reached his word limit, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a kind of cavalier, glib, jokey ending. Um, uh, but I think you're totally... Uh, appro- it's totally appropriate to talk about they and attention because that would be, I mean, I, I think Bazan just felt, I want to entertain the issues in this essay. Mm-hmm. It's literally an essay. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to entertain the issues and articulate the issues. I'm going to be playful about my conclusion. But I think if he wanted to, or if a neo-Bazanian wanted to pick up where Bazan leaves off, they might take the way that you're describing. They might take the they path. Mm-hmm. And say, well, really, the aesthetic we're talking about, regardless of the technological realm, the aesthetic that we're talking about is a matter of subjective attention. And that has to be the ground of further aesthetic discussion. Mm-hmm. Well done, sir. Well done to you, sir. Uh, I think we're I think we're done. I think so. The beans are over and we should go. Barry, have a wonderful day. <laughs> no. I'll see you. I'll talk to you later. All right. Uh, Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.